Good morning. Welcome to The Crossing. We're so glad you're with us. If you wouldn't mind standing for worship.
chapter 4 it tells us that when we worship heaven worships sometimes we don't realize that our God is supreme sitting on the throne and we were created to worship Jesus said it like this he said if you don't praise me and worship me even the rocks will cry out and so we worship because two reasons one it puts our focus upon the Lord and off of our situation but two, it's because it's our created purpose to bring glory and honor to Him. But when you're doing this, heaven is worshiping with you. And do you know what they're singing? If you read it in Revelations 4 and Revelations 5, they're singing, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, is seated upon the throne. That's what they're worshiping. That all glory and honor goes to Him. So I don't know where you are this morning, what you've walked in with, what pressures are in your life, but I know a God who is seated on the throne and is still in control, even though things of your life may feel out of control. And I want to sing that last part one more time, declaring He is worthy of all. And as we do, I want to challenge you just to close your eyes and forget about your circumstances where you are and focus on the one who is in control of all things and can meet you where you are. And as you do that, heaven will rejoice and sing with you. Will you do that right now? Will you just close your eyes and focus on the Holy Spirit and the Lord right now as He is here? Just seek Him right now. Sing, you are worthy of it all. Sing it out. You are worthy, worthy of it all. You are about him today. receive all glory, all honor, and all praise in every situation. 
And Lord, today I just pray for those that are joining with us right now that are here and online that are, Lord, just in a situation. They need you, that you would reveal themselves to you to them. You would reveal yourself to them, that they could experience your presence, your glory, and know that you have not forsaken or forgotten them. In Jesus' name. Life can be heavy, a burden which at times seems unbearable. It's easy to find ourselves overwhelmed, weighed down, or even crushed. Often these struggles come and go, a nuisance, an annoyance. Yet sometimes they grab a hold, gripping every aspect of our lives, pulling us down, consuming our hope. It's hard to breathe under the weight of our anxieties. It's difficult to move forward when we're anchored to our worries. But God loves us too much to let us stay this way. He wants to replace our anxiety with hope, our fear with courage, our worries with peace, and our burdens with freedom. In moments when life begins to weigh you down, remember this one simple truth. We serve a faithful God, a God who's offered to carry our burdens and asks us to cast all our cares on Him. Welcome to Crossing. So glad to be back with you. Mandy and I and our family, we had a great time. We were on a vacation. We did a vacation cruise celebrating Gracie's graduation. Enjoyed that. Had a great time. Uh, they went to St. Kitts, St. Thomas, and Coco Cay and had a good time. Then we came back and spent a couple days with my parents and my family down in San Antonio. So it's good to be home. How many of you know it's nice to sleep in your own bed? <laughs> you know, I enjoy the time, but I also enjoy my own bed, my own home. It's good to be back with you. We're excited about what God is doing. Because God is, is just doing some incredible things here at the crossing. And, and I know that the greatest things are still yet in store. And we are just so honored that you are with us in this journey today. Um, today we're going to start a series called Seasons of Grace. Seasons of Grace. We're going to look primarily in Zechariah chapter 4 is where we're going to be through this series. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. That's where we're going to park for a while. But if you also would like to follow along in the YouVersion app, if you go to the events tab, you'll see the Crossing Church and all the notes will be there for you. Life is full of seasons. I think it's something that I've experienced that all of us have experienced. If you've lived life at all, you know you understand this principle. Over the last 22 years of ministry, one of the things I've always been enamored with and interested in is how the things of the natural environment literally connect to the supernatural, our spiritual environment. And how things, the lessons that we can learn simply from nature in itself are also very applicable to our lives as individuals. And the reason for that is because God is the creator of the universe, amen? 
He is our creator, and we realize because he created, all things work together, and it's for his good. And so it's so interesting to see these different seasons that we've studied. And I've I've taught on them throughout the years. It's been something that I've enjoyed. Ecclesiastes 3 is an incredible passage where it literally gives you an understanding that there's a time for everything under heaven, a time to laugh, a time to cry, a time to be born, and a time to die, and a time of planting, a time of harvest. And it goes through and just parallels that you can also look at seasons and you can see how you have summer winter fall and spring and how in your life you have that there are times in life where there's barren and you feel like there's nothing there and it's a winter season but yet that's building nutrients for spring is it not there are times in our life where we go through fall and things are pruned away from us and it's sad and it's tough but it's all still a part of the plan. It's, it's there to produce growth for the future. And it's easy to see in a physical aspect, but it's often hard to relate to a spiritual understanding. But the truth is, all of us have placed moment, had moments in our life where we felt stuck in between. Have we not? Have you ever had that moment where you felt simply just stuck in between a season? It's like, I don't know what this is. It's the times when you don't know what to do. It's the times when you don't see the path forward. You know, you begin to question and wonder, God, where are you? I need you to show up and quickly at that. Can I get an amen? Right? There are times I just want you to respond, God, where are you in this time? One of the things I've been processing as of recent and the lessons that I'm beginning to see is identify those seasons as a season of grace. As a season of grace. And we're going to unpack that and look at that in Zechariah chapter 4. We're going to kind of walk through. But really what we're going to look at is the four principles to help guide you through the season of grace. And we're going to look at that here in just a moment. But when you look at Zechariah chapter 4, let me give you just a little bit of the background of what's going on. Zechariah, he began his prophetic ministry. It was during the post-exilic period. What does that mean? Basically, Israel had been in exile for 70 years in Babylon. The Babylonians had overtaken them. And they were now past that period. And they're able to now re-enter into to the land, the, their, their homeland. And so Zechariah is a prophet that is active during this time. Now like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, Zechariah was also of, not just a prophet, but he was of the priestly family, which is important. We'll see later on in this series how it kind of unpacks. But he was born in Babylon and was there among those who returned to Jerusalem around the 538-537 B.C. And he was under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And we'll talk about a little bit more about that today and who Zerubbabel is. But he was a contemporary. What does that mean? He's a contemporary of Haggai. If you read the book of Haggai, you see a lot of the prophetic messages given out explaining how the house of the former, the former house will be as the greater, I'm sorry, the new house, the future will be greater than the past is what it's saying. So it's the former will be better than the latter. So it's giving you an understanding that everything is, God's got this great plan coming. 
And Haggai breaks that down through several different um, prophetic messages. But Zechariah, he is a young contemporary of that. So he's younger than him. So naturally, as you kind of look through scriptures and you study it, you see that his ministry goes beyond Haggai's. And you can compare that in verses 1, Zechariah 1 and chapter 7, as well as Haggai 1 and Nehemiah 12. Those are just some kind of frameworks for you to understand what's going on. So basically, he's young and early age. And many believe he even kind of ministered all the way through King Artaxerxes I, which was in 465 to 424 B.C. I tell you all that just to give you an understanding of what's going on. They're in exile. They're leaving exile. They're able to go back to their homeland. And God is using these prophets to prophesy hope and message of hope and a message of redemption of what's coming ahead of them. But yet they're struggling that they're facing because you know what? They're stuck. All they've known, many all they can remember is this exilic, this exile that they've been in. And yet there's a new season. They've been in a winter. They've been in a summer. They've been barren. But yet there's this season of growth coming and they are struggling to see it. And so we're going to focus on primarily on chapter 4 and it's well known for verse 6, which we'll deal with today. But it gives you a snapshot of the prophecy that's going forth, but yet the response that many of them are having. So let's go ahead and read this today in Zechariah chapter 4, 6 through 10. And then we'll break it down some. Zechariah 4, 6 through 10. He says, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, here's the one you may have heard. Not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forward from the top stone shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and the hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things or small beginnings shall rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So let me give you the four principles that we're going to walk through over the next four weeks, but then we're going to deal primarily with number one. So the four principles to guide you through seasons of grace, here they are. God requires that you follow his strategy, number one. Number two, God insists that you rely on his strength. Number two, number three, God desires you trust in his faithfulness. And number four, God's timing will always reveal his strategy, strength, and faithfulness. Now we're going to break these down. You don't have to memorize them today. We'll walk through them over the next four weeks. But today I want to look primarily at number one. That God requires you follow his strategy. Now let's look at verse six again. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Israel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. How many of you have heard this before? Whether you've quoted it, said it, you've heard it. It's, it's something that you're familiar with. It's a very common passage that we often use. I've said it many times, even up here. I've said it in my life, throughout my life. Just a quote. And, and just to be completely transparent with you, most of us, including myself, when we say it, we think of it as our God being powerful, do we not? Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. Yeah, and it's just a strong verse that we, we cling to. But when we look at it, we often are misconfusing some of the ramifications, understanding behind it. 
So I want to examine it a little further today and be what you actually see. It's not so much about the might and power. It's more about revealing his strategy and how the Lord works. Look what it says here. Let's break this down at the beginning. It says, the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel. Now the question we often ask is, who is Zerubbabel? Okay, what is his place? What's going on? Well, Zerubbabel is the governor of Judah during the reign of Persian Empire. And we see that primarily through Haggai chapter 1 and 2, as well as other historical writings. Now, as the governor of Judah, he was proved and appointed as one of the initial leaders that was helped to supervise the reconstruction of the Jerusalem temple. We see that in Ezra chapter 3. Now, this is important, not today, but we'll break this down later in the series. But he was the grandson of King Jehoiakim, who was an evil king, but of the lineage of David. Now, we see that in 1 Chronicles 3.17. Now, why was that important? Why is it important that he's the lineage of David? Where is the Messiah coming from? The lineage of David. And so you can kind of see some of this parallel and how we'll get to that later on. So here he is. He's of the lineage of David. He's the governor of Judah. He's overseeing the reconstruction of the temple. Opposition, though, came about two years into the building. We see that in Ezra chapter 4. And they were only able to complete just the foundation. Now, 17 years after that, King Darius comes, takes over the Persian Empire, and one of his desires is to set up religions all across the empire again, because that had kind of been shut down. So he wants to set up this religious experiences. So in 538 BC, he actually releases the Israelites to go back to Israel and, and begin to reconstruct this temple. So he's excited. They're all going there, and Zerubbabel is a part of this process. So now these two prophecies, these two prophets in this time, Haggai and Zechariah, Zechariah, their their words literally are synonymous leading up to the completion of the temple in 516 BC. So this passage, just to kind of wrap this background understanding up, was to prophesy and reveal the work of the Lord. It was giving to the people the strategy of who God was and what God was doing. Hard for them to see because all they could remember is what? What it once was. Those that were old enough looked at the foundation. You know what they said? This is too small. There's no way this could be better. How could they prophesy this will be better? But we're going to see later on how it is. Because when they looked at Zerubbabel, they asked, could he truly be the Messiah? So just understanding that, there are many doubts that they had. And you know what? They were in this compare game, and they were struggling to understand what was going on. But here's what we have to process today. In that season where we're stuck in the middle, in that season when we're confused and not seeing the answer in front of us, or the answer that we thought it was is not happening the way we thought it should, I want you to identify that as a season of grace. Instead of feeling stuck, instead of feeling trapped, recognize it for what it is. A season of grace in your life. One of the things that I've had the pleasure of doing now that my kids are teenager is teaching them to drive. People told you diapers are the worst thing. They lied. 
teaching them to drive is the worst thing because your life is at stake. And there are times that you get worked up. There are times that you get scared. And I've told my kids, already through Gracie and Eli, look, I'm going to remain calm until you scare me. At that point, I'm loud. I'm obnoxious. You're going to have to give me grace to calm down because you just scared the bejesus out of me, right? Like, I'm scared. I am so concerned. So I'm going to, we're going to have to, to just come to an agreement. And one of the things on the test they make you do is to learn how to back up. Believe it or not, that's a real thing. Like, they make you back up. If you've taken a test in Texas, they want to see you back up. And I know what you're thinking. How hard is it to back up? Right? You would be amazed. It can be harder than you think it is. And there's this one element, one component that you look at and you think... It's a given, right? If you're moving backwards, how many, which direction should you look? This is not a trick question. <laughs> backwards, yes. If you're driving backwards, look backwards. And believe it or not, that's the point of their test. They want to see, are you looking at the mirrors, looking, or are you turning around and seeing where you're going? And it's, it's incredible because teaching even both of my kids this, I'm realizing that, especially in the days of technology, right? We have cameras. They beep at me. They, they tell me to stop. Like, why do I need to look behind me? Because it's a good thing to look where you're going backwards, right? So you turn around and you look backwards. And, and I'll be amazed. Even with Gracie and Eli both, I'm like, look backwards. You're driving backwards. Look backwards. And, you know, I was thinking about this and processing this in our lives. How many times in our lives are we not looking the direction we're going? How many times in our lives are we driving by looking at the rearview mirror? Thinking about how it was. Thinking about how things could be or should, would have been or could have been. Instead of looking forward to what is. The truth is, if we're honest today, we're all guilty of it. Because we want to look at the past instead of looking at the future. But in this understanding, when you have to follow Christ, when you follow God's strategy, following his strategy, catch this, means you trust his plans over yours. Let that sink in. That means you're not looking through the rearview mirror. You're looking forward to what he has in store. You see, many of us are so guilty of believing God's in control, but not trusting that he is. Did you catch that? Oh, he's in control, but I don't trust him with my situation. And it, it's a difficult place to be. But if you want to see where you fit, ask yourself this question. How do you respond when faced with opposition? What's your response? Is it immediately to look forward and trust in God? Or is it to come up with your own plan instead of relying on his? Think about it. We're all guilty of that. None of us are innocent in that. When a situation arises, we say, what do I do? But yet following God's strategy means to saying, God, what do you want to do? It's shifting our thinking to relying on him. And even ask yourself, when do we often seek God the most earnestly? When do we seek him earnestly? It's when we're in a situation, isn't it? That's when he's got to show up. When we can't fix it. 
But yet God desires that we follow his strategy, meaning that we trust him more than we trust our own plans. You see, Zechariah and Haggai, they're declaring God's plan. They're saying it's not by might, not by power, but it's by my spirit. God is in control. He has this. He knows what is there. And when you look at that, it says not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. What does that mean? Well, here's where we get confused, right? Because we think of God as a powerful God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the God that literally caused the flood to destroy the earth and, and created it new, right? He, he literally flooded the earth. He's the same God that, that literally was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The father of many nations. He's the same God that helped them, remember, get out of bondage in, in Egypt. And literally split the Red Sea open and they walked across on dry land. How cool is that? That's power. That's might. That's who he is. That's his nature. But here's where we get confused. We think of his power and his nature has to always be used for our benefit. His power and nature should only, it's like a, a vending machine, like ka-ching, ka-ching, all right, well, this is what I need, B5. Let that blessing flow down, right? You know, it's like I'm waiting on it to come through. And what happens? It gets stuck in the vending machine, right? And you're like beating on the vending. Come on, bring it down, right? But that's not how God works. His power and might are there for you, but not as some slot that you can simply push in and push a number and receive. It's because he's wanting you to trust in him as a supreme, him as your source, and not simply seeking the individual blessing or desired need. And when you begin to follow his strategy, you recognize it's not his power and his might that are the strongest. It's his spirit that dwells within you that gives you wisdom and knowledge and understanding and guides and directs you and has a purpose and plan that is the strongest and most important. And it begins to come alive to us. A great example of this is 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12. It's the example where Elijah was sitting he had ran, literally just had the incredible experience on Mount Carmel. You know what? Jezebel says she wants to kill him. He runs for his life. He's in a mountaintop, scared, hiding, and God comes to him. And he tells him to go out on the mountain. Let's read it real quick. It says, go out and stand before me. In verse 11, on the mountain, the Lord told him, as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that rocks tore loose, and the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Now, I want you to think about this. The Lord passed by, and a windstorm came, earthquake came, and a firestorm came. That's power, is it not? But that's not how he demonstrated himself, was it? It was how? In the gentle whisper, his spirit. Because God is spirit. He is spirit, and that is how he speaks. When you're wanting to find his strategy, you have to listen to his voice. Well, how do I do that? John 4, 23 through 24 says it like this. The time is coming. This is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. He says this. He says, the time is coming. Indeed, it's now where worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So what does that do? That gives us a snapshot of how this works. That as we worship him, we talked about earlier, it puts our attention upon him. And the spirit of God that lives in you begins to guide and direct you and comfort you with what you're facing. Because you're worshiping him in spirit, in what? That's your heart and worshiping him and giving your, putting him at the center of your life. But in truth, because you're resting on his foundation, his belief, his knowledge of who he is and what you know to be true and right through the word of God. And what he's revealed to you. John 14, 26 gives us another snapshot of it. It says that this, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring you into remembrance to all that I have said. So what is it telling us here? That the Spirit of the living God lives in you as you begin to worship him and honor him and rest upon his truth. What happens? It gives you access to the Father who speaks to you and guides and directs you and gives you the wisdom, the strength, everything that you need in that season of grace. If you look at the word helper there, the Greek, the original Greek written that was called parakletos. Parakletos is an advocate or an intercessor, a counselor, a comforter, a helper. It comes from the root word paraclete, which means intercessor or counselor. So we see here that God is spirit. The spirit of the living God lives in you as you become a follower of Christ. It's what draws you. The Holy Spirit draws you into relationship with him. And when you have that, you begin to have access to him to speak to your life. Isn't that powerful? That's what he wants to do for you. But it takes you beginning to trust and understand his plan over your own. So following his strategy literally means that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by his spirit, it's through his gentle whisper, because he's an advocate, he's an intercessor, he's a helper, he's a comforter, he's a counselor. So you have to know that God is strategic and requires that you trust in his strategy more than your own. Yeah, there are times we don't understand it, but we have to trust and know that God is still working. You see, what I'm learning is that in the moments of frustration and confusion, we can find peace because we begin to recognize it as a season of grace. I don't get it, Lord, but this is a season of grace. And I'm going to trust in your strategy more than I trust in my own. Even this week as I've been processing this, and faced with challenges, the Lord reminded me of Isaiah 55. And Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9, is one that we quote oftentimes. You probably have heard it. I know I've preached it. You've probably heard it in your life if you've ever heard it said. But it simply says this, my ways, there's, you know, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, more than anyone can have as high as the heavens is above the earth. You know, that high, so are my ways higher than your ways. And we quote this oftentimes and just because it's a great understanding of what we don't understand. Right? When we can't have the answer, we just fall on, well, your thoughts are bigger than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways, God. I'm going to trust you. 
But as I was processing this, even this week, the Lord prompted me. He said, read on. (laughs) Read the next couple verses and see what I'm talking about. In verse 10, it says this, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and they stay on the ground and water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same way with my word. I send it out. What does that word say? It what? Always produces fruit. Always. It will accomplish what I want it to and it will prosper everywhere I send it. You will live in joy and peace in the mountains and the hills will burst into songs. The trees of the fields will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. Where nettles grew, myrtles will sprout up. These events, catch this last part, will bring great honor to the Lord's name and will be an everlasting sign of his power and love. Isn't that amazing? Do you see the strategy in that? His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But his strategy will always produce fruit. His strategy will always bring him glory. It may not be the way we want it. It may not be how we want it. But in that season of grace, we can find peace to know that he is strategic and is working in our behalf. All we have to do is trust in his faithfulness and know that he's got this. And know that he's got a strategy. I don't see it, but he is working. It's the powerful verse you quoted probably many times in Romans. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I want you to close your eyes and reflect on that this morning. You know, you may be here today and you're in that limbo season in that time period where you feel like something's off like I'm, I'm, I don't feel like I'm I don't even know where I am I, I'm just questioning God what are you doing but today you can rest in that season of grace and know that God is in control That he's working in your behalf, in my behalf, in all of our behalves. We just have to trust in him. And if you're here today, we don't want to close the service without giving you this chance. And you don't know Christ. You don't have a relationship with him. I want to give you that opportunity. Because the only way you can follow his strategy and know him is if you begin to Surrender your life to him. Because that's when you come into contact with the one who can give you peace. The one who can give you comfort and strength and counsel. But if you don't know Christ as your savior. 
and you're joining with us and today you want to make that dedication to him or maybe you've accepted him but you've walked away and today you want to rededicate your life to him with no one looking around if that's you this morning would you just make eye contact with me I want to pray with you right where you're sitting amen anyone else amen anybody else here today amen anyone else praise God Praise the Lord. I want to pray with you. In Romans chapter 10, it says, Confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you are saved. The confession is a prayer that I'm going to lead you in, the prayer of confession. But that's the first step of confession. The next step is you choosing to walk with Him, trusting in Him, putting His strategy first. So I'm going to ask that we all join together today to not single anyone out. But if you were one of the ones that responded, or maybe you didn't respond, but the Spirit's speaking to you, and you feel like that's you, all you have to do is respond in this prayer as your own. I'm going to ask that we all join together. If you've already been saved, and then let this be just a reminder as we pray it together of what God's done for you. Let's all join together, if you would, with me today, and let's pray. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died for me and rose again for me. And now today, I choose to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Bible says all of heaven's rejoicing. Would you rejoice with them? If those that are being baptized would go ahead and move um, towards that right now if you want to change or anything. We're going to move into a time of baptism. Um, baptism is important because it is a public confession of faith. So in other words, when we get saved, what we believe is that Jesus forgives us of our sins as we just prayed. But then beyond that, that we want to share that with others. So the reason that we are baptized is because it's simply a public confession to everyone around you that Jesus has forgiven me of my sins and the old is washed away and now the new is made fresh. So that's why we do this. And that's we follow the example that Jesus gave us before us. And he told us, and we see it over throughout the scripture in the New Testament. This gives us that command to repent and be baptized. And so today we're going to do that today. We're, we're just excited for those that are getting, getting to experience that. But if you would today, before we, we, move, we move on, um, you may have noticed out in the foyer um, we have... Uh, a whole display that Christine did an incredible job displaying was a donut forget us so if you didn't get a donut that's on you right you missed the uh, the opportunity but Keith and Tiffany have just been a, such a wonderful blessing over the last five years and we're excited um, for their new journey you know this is that season of grace it's that time where you know we, we don't want to see them go but yet it's, you know, a pruning for us, but yet it's also, and hard for them, but yet God is opening an incredible opportunity, and so we're excited for them. So if you didn't get a donut, you can grab one on the way out, and 
and when we take the offering today, I want to give you that opportunity to bless them. You know, they have um, a lot of expenses from traveling, coming back and forth and moving. So in the offering today, if you would, just take the opportunity to bless them. We just want to put a blessing on them and tell them how much we love them. If you're not able to, you can come join us, though, afterwards. We have um, at Rudy's, we're going to be going to, and Mandy will give this one more time if you're, like, trying to catch all this information. But afterwards, we'll be going to Rudy's. We have a room there. We're just going to eat and um, just love on them, tell them how much we love them and are appreciative for them. And um, there'll be some cupcakes there, just a time to for you to express your love to them and tell them how much you appreciate them. Amen? All right. water in yesterday it was blazing hot and it was 97 degrees in here and I thought there's no way I'll need a heater but it's cooled down overnight <laughs> so if you see the shock I'm, I'm sure that might be a little bit of a shock of the temperature Abby says, I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was younger, and recently I felt like I needed to take the next step. I'm thankful for everything the Lord has done for me, and I know he will continue to do great things. Amen. Abby, upon your confession of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, I now baptize him in the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Kelly says he walked me into the valley of the death in order to teach me that he was the only one who could get me through it. I'm thankful every day for the peace that I feel in my heart, knowing that he's the only one who guides me. Kelly, upon your confession of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. I now baptize him the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I want to go to heaven. I want to ask some questions in heaven. I believe in God because he was on the cross. He died because he wants us to live. Amen. Let's go ahead and pick at it. 
job. Hold your nose. Lexi, upon your confession of faith, the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. great to be here with everyone today and just an exciting time as we worship through seeing uh, baptisms. It's just one of the most incredible things uh, that we can can be a part of as a church. Um, before we get into our announcements and things, let's go ahead and have the Morris family come on down. And we want to send them off um, with prayers and praying over their family what a blessing this family has been to the crossing. And um, I'm gonna try to get through this. <laughs> Y'all know me. <laughs> um, they were here for the crossing during a very dark time in our, my family's personal walk with Zach being in the hospital. And um, I will be forever grateful um, for the sacrifices that they made during that time and the whole five years they've been here. So if we could all stand and uh, God has incredible things for their family and we know that he is gonna use them in this next season and that their family is going to be able to reach very, so many people. And we're so thankful for the Morrises. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we just pray over Pastor Keith and Tiffany, Lila Mae, Lachlan, and Luella. God, thank you for the blessing that they have been to us, that they have been to this church, to our teenagers. Lord, thank you for the countless hours that they have poured. I know hours that no one has seen, sacrifices that they have made for your kingdom and for the crossing. And Lord, we thank you for them. We thank you for the calling that you have on this family. Lord, you have an incredible season ahead of them. God, I thank you that you are going to bless them. You're going to grow them. You're going to cause them to flourish. And Lord, we thank you for your protection and your guidance and just all the amazing things that you're gonna do through this family. We love them so much and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen, amen. All right, we love you guys. And please, as you stop by on the way out, there's not just donuts, there's also cards there. And we would love for you to write a card, um, share a memory, share something you're thankful for. Um, and let's just send them off knowing how loved they are and what a blessing that they have been to us. And uh, so take some time. There's plenty of cards out there. You can write it to the whole family or to the kids or, or whoever you choose. So definitely wanna share that with them, but um, we are, we have a room. Um, Rudy's has that room in the back and we have reserved it. So we're gonna go to Rudy's. If you wanna come and join us for lunch, please feel free to do so. Um, so we'll just have some time to uh, get to talk with them and we have cupcakes. And so anyway, we want to definitely invite you all out to come and celebrate their family. 
All right, let's see. I think, um, I think that's all we've got. So that was pretty, pretty fast, right? <laughs> uh, we'll have some things coming up over the next few weeks. Oh, I'm, I'm about to forget to take up offering, to do Connect Card. Oh, my brain's been on vacation mode, y'all. Sorry. <laughs> I've been soaking in the Caribbean sun, and it was only 85. I was really sad when I came back here to Texas. So, oh, okay. There we have a Connect card, and if you are a first-time guest visiting with us today, we want to say we're so excited that you are here, and we would love for you to scan this uh, QR code. Um, there's also some codes on the back of seats. Um, scan that, and we would love to have your information so that we could reach out to you over the next few days. Um, also, this is a spot where if you have something that you want to tell us, like you're interested in groups when they start back up or you want to volunteer, um, anything you know that you're interested in, you can also select on the Connect card as well. Um, and we just want you to take advantage of that. But this morning, um, we did talk about where, as we are giving today, giving to the Morris family, um, you can do that. There is a bucket set up at the back, or you can actually go to, um, there. we have several ways of giving here at the Crossing through the Church Center app. If you have not downloaded that, definitely do that. Click the Crossing Church, and it's an incredible um, uh, tool to have, um, but you can give through the through the Church Center app. You can text any amount to a four eight four three two one. Um, P.O. Box 428 if you want to send it in, or you can also give through just going straight to the website. And if you are giving online, just make sure you, you know, designate your tithe and then designate um, what you're giving toward the Morses. Um, but let's pray this morning and let's thank God for his blessings. Um, we live in such a, a blessed uh, nation and society and just we want to thank God for his blessings because here in America, we, you know, it's interesting when you go out of the country, it just always reminds you of how blessed we are and how we are so blessed to be able to give back. And let's do that this morning. Let's do that. Let's pray today. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to be able to be a blessing, to be able to give back to your kingdom. We know that when we give to your kingdom, that people are being reached all over the world. Missionaries are being helped. Um, needs are being met. And so God, we wanna do that today. We wanna give back to you with a grateful heart from all that you've blessed us with. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Okay, so... Um, that is all. <laughs> we kind of did all of that in reverse, but definitely we hope that you will take advantage of writing a card and letting the Morrises know how much you love them. All right, we love you guys. We'll see you back next Sunday. Have a good one.